and welcome to the Select Sector Spider Sector Digest podcast for the week of January 15th, 2024. I'm your host, Paul Bayaki, ready to dig into all things sectors for the week ahead and look back at the week that was. And it was a week in which the market ended up higher by a fairly small amount. The S&P 500 was up 1.84%, which means now year to date we're up about 30 basis points, but you wouldn't know it because most of the focus was on Bitcoin and Bitcoin ETFs, but I digress. So this was a fairly muted week in terms of overall activity in the select sector spider lineup, 621 million shares traded across the select sector spider lineup. So in the middle range of what we typically see in a normal week. And this is a market that is at least for the start of 2024, exhibiting a little bit different leadership than we saw last year. And I say that in a week in which technology was up 4.41%. So you might say, well, how can that be if technology and communication services were the two best performing sectors last week, and those were the best performing sectors in 2023? The reason I say that is because once again, healthcare had a really nice week, up 1%. You had staples up 1%. You had consumer discretionary up just 72 basis points. And then you had utilities down 1.88%. So the makeup of the rally so far in 2024 just feels a little bit different than what we saw in 2023. And some of that has to do with the economic data that we've received so far from the market. So as we mentioned last week, we got CPI and PPI this week. CPI this week saw the headline figure for consumer prices rise 3.4% year over year. So it was higher than expected. Core CPI was 3.9% year over year. So both were higher than what the market expected. And as you would imagine, the market didn't like it initially, but then sort of reverted to what has been the trend over the course of the past 12 plus months, which is to rally and finish the week higher. And when you look at month over month, both headline and core increased 0.3%. So if you look at those year over year numbers, 3.4% on a headline basis, 3.9% on a core basis, and both of those numbers are well off of the Fed's target. And of course, the Fed looks at PCE much more closely than it does CPI, but within the numbers is depending on how you look at it, either troubling or encouraging signs. So all items, less food and energy rose 3.9% over the past 12 months after rising 4% over the 12 months ending in November. The energy index decreased 2% for the 12 months ending in December, while food index increased 2.7% over the last year. So on the one hand, energy is going in the right direction, and that should flow through to the other indications and the other components within our inflation metrics, but food remains stubbornly high. And you could make a case that energy continuing to decline, its influence in CPI, whether on a headline or a core basis, should eventually have an impact on food. But you've also got these supply chain issues going on globally, specifically what's going on in various parts of the world. And with that, you've got container rates increasing once again, and that will inevitably flow through to the price of consumer goods in various parts of the world, including 
the United States. Now, core CPI, which is what the market looks at, which is what in theory is less volatile than the headline number because you're stripping out food and energy, did show the ninth straight months of deceleration and its lowest 12-month change since May 2021. So again, depending on how you look at these prints, oh, it was higher than the market was anticipating, but we also just saw the lowest figure over a 12-month period since May 2021, which is pretty good. And the challenge with CPIs we've talked about is shelter and services, which continue to drive that CPI higher than what the Fed wants. And there are people that will argue that that shelter measure, that owner equivalent rental measure that they use in there, isn't accurate. Because if you look at things like Zillow, which has its own rent measurements nationally, Rent prices are actually going in the right direction. Housing prices are actually going in the right direction. Although we have seen housing prices show a little bit of resilience more recently, the the market can interpret this data any way that it wants. And when you get to the end of the week and the S&P 500 is up 1.8%, clearly that CPI figure is in line with what the market expects and anticipates will accommodate what will eventually be. Fed easing. And that's what the market has anticipated for quite some time in 2024. That's what the Fed has signaled in 2024 on its own. They do disagree, if you will, in terms of the number of those rate cuts. It feels like the Fed is at three and the market is as high as five or six rate cuts for 2024. So it all remains to be seen. And some of this market action is, as it always is, the anticipation of what may be to come, not just from an economic activity perspective, but also from a Fed policy perspective. So CPI, all in all, you could look at it a number of different ways. PPI, on the other hand, was unchanged month over month in December, the third month of unchanged in a row, which dragged core PPI year over year down to 1.8%, which is the lowest level of wholesale inflation we've had since December 2020. And if you think that PPI leads CPI, because of course, that does translate in some way to the prices of consumer goods, then that is definitely trending in the right direction, however you look at it. Now, again, we've got these supply chain constraints going on globally, some of the geopolitical stuff that's taking place in various parts of the world that is increasing the price of freight, increasing the price of containers globally, which could, in theory, put upward pressure on PPI. But for now, the inflationary pressures that have been so part and parcel to what people think about as they try and analyze this market and how to allocate both at the fixed income and equity level, but also within the equity markets at the sector level is definitely supportive of what the market is anticipating, which is a pivot and fairly aggressive easing stance from the Fed. And we're also seeing, at least in the interest rate market, a yield curve that is starting to show signs of steepening and bull steepening specifically, which is a very bullish scenario for various segments of the market, or at least has been historically. And again, just going back in time now, past couple of years, we've seen pretty dramatic inversions in the yield curve, which has been net negative specifically for financials, net negative specifically for real estate. And a bull steepening environment, at least historically, 
is a little bit more constructive for businesses like financials and real estate. And the reason it's bullish for financials or has been historically is because it does, at least in theory, portend better net interest margins, which is the lifeblood of a lot of the financial institutions outside of those big guys that reported last week, the Black Rocks, the Wells, the... JP Morgans of the world. And that is, of course, a sector that we talk about often. And you look at flows last week, and that was the story this week. We had 16.4 million shares created across the select sector spider lineup in aggregate, 19 million shares alone in XLF. We had three and a half million shares created in XLB and XLU. But again, XLF is one of those sectors that when a trade is on for financials, you tend to see it show up in XLF because it is the product of choice for folks who are allocating to the financial services sector. And because it is so large, because it is so liquid, because a lot of the institutional investors, endowments, hedge funds, and the like who put on more sophisticated trades tend to use XLF as their de facto choice in the financial services sector, either alongside individual positions or in place of individual positions. We did see redemptions in six different sectors led by staples, industrials, and energy, once again, down 2.36%, the worst performing sector of the week. And it's a sector that has had a lot of volatility, especially over the course of the past three months, because we've seen volatility in the price of oil. And it seems as if every week, Once a week, we see a headline, whether it's a bigger than expected draw or a shallower than expected draw or some geopolitical uncertainty, some announcement from OPEC in terms of what the price is that they're going to be selling oil at in the market. And then, of course, the geopolitical uncertainty that continues to wreak havoc on various segments of the global oil and energy infrastructure segment. And that is something that will always be the case with energy. It's why it has been the most volatile sector in the market over the course of the past 30 plus years. And importantly, you hear all the time about energy trading at valuations well below that of the market and the free cash flow profile of the sector, the high yield, the return of capital to shareholders. All of those things are true, but Energy is very much a sector where the price of oil dictates performance in the near term and all of the things, valuations, fundamentals, and relative yield opportunities can fall by the wayside when there are bigger concerns around the global matrix of energy production. And that's exactly what we saw last week. It's it's what helped drag down the sector Last week, we also saw materials down 1%. We saw, as I mentioned earlier, utilities down 1.88%, which again is supposedly a defensive sector. And in a market where the bulls are in charge, if you will, some of these defensive sectors like utilities can and often do lag. It is in those difficult market environments, in those corrective market environments where defensive leadership tends to rise to the top. And that just hasn't been the case now for the past year running. Now, one of those defensive sectors, XLP, actually had a pretty decent week, and that's the sector in focus. 1.1% last week for Staples. It did lag considerably last year. And What's interesting about Staples and why I wanted to focus on it this week is because from a valuation perspective, it actually came back 
from what were extended valuations relative to the market coming out of 2022. And when you look at what happened with Staples last year, margin pressure became a significant issue for the Staples sector. Anytime you have wholesale inflation, consumer inflation that are mismatched and an inability to continue to pass along costs to consumers in goods that don't have a lot of elasticity of demand, then all of a sudden you're sort of pushing on a string as it were in terms of how much you can increase prices, how much you can shrink packaging before you get switching from your brand to generics or otherwise. And there are components of the Staples lineup that there are no substitutions for. Again, if you need to brush your teeth, you need to buy toothpaste. If you need to go to the bathroom, you need to buy toilet paper. There are components of the Staples complex that are very defensive. But, and this is a big but here, the margins on those products can and often do shrink when you're in an inflationary environment. And then you add to this the Ozempic news, which is a weight loss drug that started to really erode analysts and predictions around demand for foodstuffs. And in the United States, we consume a lot of processed foodstuffs, which are, which are things that are typically provided by staples companies. So on the one hand, you have this margin pressure due to inflation. On the other hand, you have this expectation that this weight loss drug is going to, at the very least, chip away at the aggregate demand for some of the core goods sold by staples companies. And it adds up to a very poor demand outlook and profitability outlook for the staple sector. And that's largely what we saw in 2023. Now, is some of that Ozempic impact on staples companies overblown? I don't know, but I know for a fact that it did from a headline perspective and from an analyst buy side, sell side research perspective, have an impact on how these companies were valued and what the expectations were for earnings growth for the staple sector. Now, the flip side is, is that staples historically has been a very defensive sector. And if there is an opportunity to start to dial down the risk of a portfolio, and you look at the staple sector trading at a lower PE on a forward basis than the market, showing signs that they're going to grow earnings on a consensus basis in 2024 that are positive, but maybe not at the level of what we talked about with healthcare, at the level of technology, or at the level of communication services. All of a sudden, the environment for a defensive trade like Staples might be more attractive. And of course, if we do get some geopolitical uncertainty spilling into or translating to economic contraction and or economic vulnerability, Staples is going to be one of those sectors that people tend to gravitate towards because of the defensive characteristics and Unlike utilities, which has exhibited tremendous volatility over the course of the past 12 months, and unlike even the healthcare sector, it is a sector that has a baseline level of demand for its products, which is not always the case with other sectors of the market. So consumer staples, a boring sector on the face, but a very complicated sector in reality, given all of these disparate and complicated economic dynamics impacting the market and impacting the sector.
So looking ahead to next week, economic data, we've got retail sales and consumer sentiment. So we'll get a feel for the state of the consumer, an important part of our economy, as always. We'll hear from multiple Fed folks talking about the economy, talking about Fed policy in that context. And of course, we're always going to get snippets of those presentations and of those speeches in the financial media, not necessarily going to impact the market as much as a Fed meeting, but certainly as the market always does, trying to distill insights from those Fed members sitting at the table, trying to make Fed decisions that will have an impact on the market this week. And then we get housing starts, building permits, existing home sales, so additional housing data, which of course early in the year will be instructive, especially as interest rates have come down quite a bit from their highest levels. Mortgage rates have come down quite a bit from their highest levels over the course of the past couple of years, which in theory is supportive of the housing market. But looking at 2023, we did see tremendous performance from the home building segment specifically because when you think about the nature of the housing market, a lot of those existing home sales don't necessarily translate to GDP growth, because that is in many ways just a financial transaction. Someone taking their existing house, selling it to another person, and in theory going out and buying another house because they're relocating or because they wanted to improve the footprint of their real estate. The flip side is, is new home sales is additive to GDP. And that is where incremental supply comes from because a lot of existing homes are tied to really low mortgage rates. And the flexibility of those homeowners is compromised by an environment where interest rates are significantly higher than what they already have on their existing home. Finally, on the earnings front, we get 18 S&P 500 companies reporting, 13 of which are financial companies. So we're going to hear from Goldman, we're going to hear from Morgan Stanley, we're going to hear from PNC, from Schwab, and some regional banks. So we'll get tremendous insight as to the effectiveness and the execution of these banks and these financial institutions in what is a very complicated, very challenging operating environment. And then in the real estate market, I'm going to shout out Prologis, which is also reporting. It's a double-digit weighting in XLRE. It is in the data center segment, which is one of the fastest growing segments in real estate. One of those areas of real estate, unlike, say, commercial real estate, which grabs all the attention, is actually a growth driver largely because all of this AI build out, all of the demand for data centers to support the infrastructure needed to build out and support generative AI and the like is largely supported by a company like Prologis, which again, when you look at the growth rates of various segments of the real estate market and specifically of XLRE, that data center segment is one of the significant catalysts in that sector. So with that, I'd like to thank everyone for joining me once again. My name is Paul Bayaki, Chief ETF Strategist at SSNC Alps Advisors. I hope everyone has a wonderful week. Once again, this is a short week as we honor the Martin Luther King holiday on Monday. And of course, for all things sectors, please visit sectorspiders.com. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time. Take care.